this Friday. Your favorite emotions are back on the big screen in Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. It's time to greet your Team Riley. It's anger. Let me at him. Fear. Safety checklist is complete. Disgust. Ew, ew. Ugh. Sadness is in the house. Oh, no. Hello, I'm anxiety. I'm one of Riley's new emotions. Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. There's a part two? We're going. Ready PG. Parental guidance suggested. Only in theaters Friday. Get tickets now. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, back to another edition of the Woke Bros. I'm Big Waz. Today, I'm joined by two fantastic fantastic good lefties not the type of lefties that we saw on curb who fake boycotts and and faint at the side on on of a, of a maga hat these are true dot in the wool tree hugging lip hippies man um this is how you Nan- describe your co-host yeah. that's right that's right nando via say what happened we've been doing shows for years why all of a sudden what yeah. happened <laughs> no, you guys are great. Nando Villa is, uh, you know, out here in Los Angeles. And, of course, Michael Brooks in, on the planet of Brooklyn. Uh, we got a fantastic show today lined up for you guys. But first, I want to make sure you guys understand what's going to be happening at the Bell House in Brooklyn, New York on March 28th. Count the Dings will be live. Myself, Black Trey, Mariano Bivens, Amin El Hassan, Zach Harper, Eden Lee, Nissan Blustein, Rob Lopez, Anthony Mays, and the whole entire Count the Dings community will be in the house. We got a bunch of special guests lined up. Got guys whose names rhyme with Ablo lined up. You know, we got guys who may or may not have lawyered for all of the people on power lined up. Man, we just got a few guys coming in. We're trying to make this the biggest show Count the Dings has ever put on. So make sure you go to CountTheDings.com to get your tickets. They're going to sell out eventually. So I don't want to hear it. Oh, me, was. I thought they was going to still be there. No, hurry up. Get your tickets, man. This thing's going to sell out. You don't want to miss this show. Mike, tell them about the show on February. Is it February 6th? February 7th, Friday, February 7th. February 6th is my birthday. Oh, man, I wish you were there. But regardless, it's going to be an amazing show, even without a brilliant drunk Waz. Um, (laughs) (laughs) We've got Alona Minkowski. We've got BJ Sutton. We've got a ton of amazing guests for people that are familiar with the show. There's very few tickets left. We sold out Philly with a couple days to go. We could be on a similar track. I would go to the link. And get your tickets immediately. It's going to be another great show. Excited to see you, Bell House, February 7th. All right. Uh, okay, so on today's show, we want to talk about a spat that Michael, uh, um, head writer of, of SNL, Michael Shea, had with a fellow comedy writer. Um, you know, he wrote a dope op-ed piece about it. And, and I, you know, I just thought it was the whole thing was kind of funny. We're going to get into that. Uh, definitely want to talk about MBS, the crown prince of Saudi Arabia, you know, sodomizing Jeff Bezos' phone and, <laughs> and, 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 and putting, putting a spell on him, putting a hex on his phone and embarrassing that cat. We're going to get into the hilarity of that. But first, 
Oh, man. Establishment, centrist, corporatist Dems are at it again. This time, we got the the king and the queen of the corporatists, the corporatist Dem wing of the party, Joe Biden and Hillary Clinton stirring up crap with um with Bernie Sanders. Hillary Clinton, of course, she's dropping a, a, a documentary. She did an interview in The Hollywood Reporter where she essentially called Bernie uh, unlikable. People didn't like him, said that his supporters online uh, were very abrasive, particularly towards women. You know, so she continues in that stereotype and she's carrying over the grudge from 2015-16. And then, of course, Joe Biden... You know, some Bernie surrogates got 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 found crossways, you know, just spreading some stuff. They kind of misrepresented some Biden stuff from uh, an event that he did, although the overarching theme of what they were trying to explain, which is that Joe Biden has will have no problem in a future potential future presidency cutting your granny's Social Security. Um, This is a fact. This is documented. I don't think anybody would be surprised by that. Uh, but, you know, Nando, I'll kick it to you first. Um, why can't these people just let it go as far as Hillary and her team and just the butthurt nature of their of what happened in 2016? So I think that what's important to realize now is that we're two weeks away from uh, Iowa, the first votes, and Bernie's in the lead. Like he is unequivocally in the lead. He just took the lead in national polls. Uh, he's been either tied or outright in the lead in some of the early state polls. And he's got the most money and the most donors. Well, outside of Bloomberg, the most money, but the most he's raised the most money. So I think that there is a, Oh shit moment coming from the ruling class. And they're like, Oh my God, like I'm really going to let this guy win the nomination. So there is, there seems to be a little bit of a coordinated attack uh, to to bring him down at the last second, with with regards to Clinton specifically, I mean, I think it's important to understand the Clintons as a political machine, not unlike Tammany Hall in New York, you know, in the late 19th century, early 20th century, in that, you know, they they derive their power by both, you know, using their immense influence and fundraising and all that stuff, but also. Uh, punishing anyone that goes against them. And that's why, you know, I think Barack Obama understood this very well in 2008, which is why he cut a deal with the Clintons after beating them in the primary saying, like, oh, we'll make you secretary of state and then I'll clear the field for you eight years from now. But anyone who crosses the Clintons, and this has been true, not just lately with Hillary, but it was it's part of the Clinton brand from forever, um, has been to just crush whoever dares go against them uh, from their own side. Um, so yeah, it's, it's not surprising and it's happening now, um, right at the, at, at the moment of truth. And I, I just don't think it's going to have an effect. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't think it will have much of an effect either. And I think in a general election, if Bernie does become the nominee, it will actually be great for him because particularly out, I mean, Hillary Clinton is one of the only people in the country that if you look at opinion polls is less popular than Donald Trump. And everybody should always remind themselves that Donald Trump is actually very unpopular. Right. But I think, uh, I don't know though. There's a couple of things to me that are really revealing about this. I mean, Nando, you said on their own side. And I think that that's such a, I mean, even though we all know they're not on the, on the same side, you know, the Clintons are, classic, you know, oligarch, corruption, big money, corporate Democrats. And Bernie, you know, is this guy, you know, who's been toiling for the poor and underrepresented for decades um, and trying to get everybody health care, the opposite of where the Clintons are coming from. But I think it's, you know, they're both in the, in the you know, in a certain way, at least running in the same party. And I think it's very revealing because, you know, Hillary Clinton, in addition to having this, you know, bitter, entitled, disgusting attitude towards Sanders and his supporters. And of course, she has no reflection on her many failings. She has no embarrassment about being the person who managed to lose to a fucking corrupt predator game show host. Right. She um, has more hatred for Bernie, it feels like, than for Trump. And I just think that that is so revealing of like a certain kind of very perverted mindset 
in the sort of center and the liberals. It's, it's not even enough to just say, you know, Hey, I'm just more right wing. I don't want to do what Bernie wants to do to solve problems. Um, but you know, if I was spend all day hyperventilating about Trump, I can at least, you know, be really clear about, you know, what the main danger is. And I think the truth of the matter is that for a lot of these people, and he's not, I mean, for what it's worth under Trump, Hillary's going to get huge tax cuts under Bernie her taxes might go up. <laughs> so there's a couple of things that just bothers me about this, this conversation because I've actually been having these conversations in real life with people who I know um, this conversation around, the supporters of, of, of Senator Sanders, right? Uh, this idea that it's a very white, very sexist supporter base, um, which I think is just, it's just silly. It's just a caricature. It's ignorant, quite frankly. Like, sure, yes, I'm sure there are people online because the language of the internet, the tenor of the internet is that of snark, is that of, you know, bombast and over-the-topness. So when his supporters um you know sort of express themselves on the internet and again no like i never hear people talk about bernie supporters in real life it's always about what happens on twitter and which is just like it's just so a mindlessness to me and it's actually intellectually dishonest to to you know to assume that or to, to, to posit that Bernie's support is just a bunch of angry white dudes on the internet. It's just stupid. And, 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 and that's in just in general with a lot of the people who just, you know, their preferred candidates are losing to Bernie. Um, that, that, that gets on my nerves, first of all. But second of all, Hillary Clinton, particularly this is stupid because she's the one that went with the deplorables thing. Like, that's why this is so stupid on her. Like, why do you think it's a good idea, particularly to, um, to be bashing and painting with a broad stroke the supporters of somebody as popular as Bernie this way and to disparage them and to say, oh, they're just sexist anyway, because you couldn't possibly not want to you couldn't possibly not like Hillary Clinton or Tulsi Gabbard or any of these other people unless you were sexist. Like it's just yeah, laughable. I, I just to me. gotta say real quick though, like even that, and I'm I'm not I, I've leveled plenty of criticisms of Tulsi, but Tulsi's actually a really good example though of just how fully and completely and utterly full of shit these people are. Because look, it's one thing to say, like not everything, of course identity matters and not everything can be reduced to identity, right? Like, I feel like that's the simplest way of putting it, right? If everything was just reduced to identity, then, you know, then vote for Carly Fiorina, vote for Herman Cain, like nothing to talk about. Barack Obama and Joe Biden got in the way of Sarah Palin being vice president, total sexism. You know what I mean? Like, and by the way, that is how some people actually talk and carry it in public life in America. And, you know, if that's what you actually believe, you know, we don't, that, that's just, you know, that's just cult thinking to me. That's just not serious. If that's like the only thing you see, even as, of course, it's incredibly important. But yeah, go ahead, if that sorry. was the only thing. But but if that was the only thing you saw, I mean, the, in Tulsi Gabbard never like she never gets included. You know, like even when people say like, oh, like, these, you know, Kamala Harris is dropping out. There's no woman of color left in the race. Well, you know, Tulsi Gabbard is literally a woman of color. Like, you know. Andrew Yang is literally an Asian American who's running a, you know, a historical presidential campaign in some ways. I don't, I mean, look, I, as I always say, I mean, I'm basically, look, my, my line is always the same. Everybody besides Bernie can eat shit as far as I'm concerned. But, you know, if you're, but just even the double standards within even their own rhetoric is just so glaring with these people. And also, you know, when it comes to Bernie, it's like the polls are in. Bernie has a multiracial coalition, period. Bernie has, not, and now it's not just among young people, it's broadening out, broadening out, including consistently majority of Hispanic people and in consistent growth of African-Americans. He's got it. So you're just erasing people. And then the last, it's like, first of all, everybody's an asshole on Twitter. And secondly, like, 
I don't know what this means because, you know, I used to take it face value because I have no doubt. I know that people, everybody can be horrible, but now it's like, I've seen articles or, you know, people saying, like, oh, my God, these Bernie bros being so horrible. And then the example is, is either like you're saying was just normal snark or actually somebody saying like, hey, um, I would like to hold you publicly accountable for a lie you told on television. And the response is <gasps> violence. So it's all just a bunch of like, you know, woke bullshit and dishonesty. And Nando, I want you to jump in here really quick, but I just want to say another thing that I think is important for people to understand. Um, when you're when you're doing the when you're broad brushing the Bernie people with the deplorables people, um, we like there was no secret about what Donald Trump's rhetoric was, and therefore why he engendered such enthusiasm amongst his base. It was Mexican people are evil, rapists taking jobs from good, hardworking, potato-eating Americans, right? Um, <laughs> we need to get rid of that. That was the animating feature of his campaign, to otherize people from Mexico. That was that was the unifying theme. Sure, there was the stuff about anti-free trade that I think animated some, some of his people. I don't think – I think that always got overblown, how anti-free trade – his base was and that 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 really got their panties moist. I don't think that that was the case. I think what got them excited was, quite frankly, the racism. Like, there's no two ways about it. Now, we have to stupidly contrast this with Bernie's support group. It's working class people issues. It's health care. It's not going to it going into extreme debt to fund college <laughs> which has become a prerequisite to any kind of decently paying job these days. Um, and just like, just these basic things like this is like the, the more, the moral imperative there you, it's not even comparable, dude. It's two It's a group of people who are scared of Brown people, scared of people who, who are Muslim and think that, you know, think the worst of them and think they're evil simply because they are not white. And then a group of people who think everybody should have health care? I, like I don't even understand how people can make the, the the argument. Just morally, these two people don't belong in the same group. Sorry, um, Nando. Please go on. No, uh, yeah. I mean, so a CNN poll came out today that put Bernie in the lead in terms of overall national support. Um, he was leading Biden by three points in this CNN poll that came out today. That same poll broke down the support between white and non-white people. And Sanders is leading with non-white people. He's got 30 percent of non-white support, while Biden comes in second at 27 percent. Uh, Warren is at 16 percent. Yang at 6 percent. Bloomberg at five. And Buttigieg all the way down at 4 percent with non-white people. So this idea that Bernie supporters are uniquely white and male or whatever is not borne out in the data at all, like at all. So it, it, it's just it, it's very, very frustrating when you hear that now in terms of like the, you know, the, the, the racial appeals of someone like Trump and how to the, to the extent that that's successful, it's true, but it's also true that in times of economic collapse, it, in, in moments of crisis of capitalism, whatever you want to call it, that has led to an increased, uh, in the appeal of racist sentiments. I mean, th this was like a very sort of mainstream belief for the longest time was that the rise of fascism in Europe in the 1930s was directly related to the crisis of capitalism in the 1920s, that the economic collapse of Germany and um, after World War One and the Treaty of Versailles led directly to the rise of fascism. I mean, this is just this was like a very standard mainstream view. And we shouldn't be surprised that Basically, 10 years after the or eight years after the crisis uh, in 2008, we get a similar kind of racist, overtly racist campaign uh, achieving some success in the United States and uh, across Western Europe as well. So it's, it's not a coincidence. They're not they don't, they don't happen in isolation. They are predictable outcomes of this economic reality. Now, obviously, like a Bernie presidency would not end racism or sexism or any of those things. But it is true that 
it would help mitigate those things greatly because it just makes them it, it, it makes the appeals it makes it it makes the appeal less salient in people's lives like it, they just don't sound as necessary when you know you you feel like you're part of something bigger when you feel like you're part of a movement when you feel like the, the person next to you is on the same team as you rather than the opposite which is when you're downwardly mobile you start to think that everyone is a potential threat or a, com- a competitor so I, I you know it just it, these things used to be kind of commonly understood but they're now being obfuscated i mean if you looked at bernie's interview with the new york times indor- uh, editorial board for that whole endorsement uh, fiasco he makes that ex- this, that exact same point which i and and the the look on all the people in the New York Times was like as if he said some sort of insane like if you just said that the the Earth was flat like it was like they could they were astonished to hear him make this incredibly boring banal point that was common knowledge forever up until very recently. Yeah, I, and I, I'm I also just want to add to that like I think the other thing that I've been noticing people have been saying right is. Well, you know, there's a lot of like very affluent white people who are racist. So that proves that the economics don't play a role in this. And that's that's just actually the dumbest comment I've ever heard. Because that that's so radically stupid because it just requires like five minutes of thinking, right? And you could say, Okay, there's two categories that we're talking about, right? Like one is why does some you know, Schmo, who's downwardly mobile, uh, get drawn into these racist appeals. And of course, you know that there's a, obviously, this is a historically racist and white supremacist country, so it fits into that. But also, we know that all the things Nando just said are at work, right? But then, like, rich people, it's like, yeah, because they have an incentive structure to keep power dynamics frozen into place. So, of course, they would embrace belief systems, whether it be racism or anything else, that would reinforce status quo. And, and, and the full circle I want to draw on that that's interesting to me is that there's some new research kind of showing that, like, uh, white people are starting to hate each other more than ever. And that's not just because, you know, white people are annoying and melodramatic, which they are. I agree with you, Wise, but... It's also that <laughs> he's stupid. It's, it's, they are though. I can't look. I'm not running for office. I could say it. It's true. True enough. But it's a it's a product of historical forces. White people are annoying. But I think. But like. But but like. The the thing that was so interesting about it is like it's basically showing that like if you had to simplify it, and I want to know what you guys think of this. It's basically like. The 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 New York the the liberal white people who by the way what's funny to me is that they're these same people in the nineties even if you look at like the Clintons who still would have been considered liberal would have been absolutely what we consider to be like hugely racist because yeah. any anytime they talked about you know you go back and you look at like how I mean you know we talked about this a million times was right how like wait a second Hillary Clinton like not that many years ago was saying that crime happens because black kids don't pull their pants up. Right. Yeah. And now what you see with the, with these, this same demographic of people is that positively they're starting to drop the racism, right? That's the positive. Uh, And then the, but what they're not doing is just generally saying like, Oh, so I should drop all bullshit like that. They're, now they're turning into like, well, I get that I was an asshole about race and poverty, but oh, if you're a poor white person in Appalachia, fuck you. You have toxic masculinity and blah, blah, blah. And all of this like dumb bullshit that they're reading from like stupid websites. And it's keeping, and ironically, in a way, it serves the same purpose because in all of these cases, it's a story that people justify to basically not pay more taxes <laughs> like yeah. not give up their shit you know what i mean and that's hillary clinton like in a fucking nutshell like i mean if i was bernie sanders i would have said yeah nobody likes me on fucking like jeffrey epstein's island like fuck you <laughs> all right yeah. so uh, like one last thing i want to address because i want to move on to joe biden and, and get up in his ass real quick 
But um, the, one, the one last thing I want to address is... That's what she said. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like fun. <laughs> Is wow. that uh, th- there's this there's this persistent criticism that Bernie is somehow running some type of colorblind campaign, which I don't think has any truth to it. Um, but whatever, bear with me here. Uh, I I don't think that there's any truth to this. But what I will tell people, black people specifically, um, Barack Obama ran a colorblind campaign, straight up oh, yeah. and down. Like, the dude straight up and down just never would mention black people, the fact that he's black. He would do stuff like, I'm going to go to a b- black church and speak in the same cadence that black preachers speak in. It's sort of a wink and a nod. But he never came out and said, you know, black people got a raw deal out here and we got to deal with that shit. Never. Never. As a matter of fact, when he finally became president, you know... They got in his ass just for saying Trey Martin could be my son, you know. And I'm just saying, like, yep. again, Hillary did did something a little different. She actually did a lot of the, and a lot of it. Let's just face it. At the time, we ca- we called it cringeworthy. The hot sauce in her purse, the freaking the <laughs> the, 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 freaking, the abuela, the freaking having the oh mothers of the movement, um, women. Up on stage at the DNC, like just having a bunch of mothers of of black kids who got killed by police up there. Like the optics were so tricky with that, and that makes me wonder, like, what do people actually want? You know, like well, we all. Thing I want to throw to you guys. Can I throw to you guys just just yeah. what you're yeah, saying, Waz? Because I feel like this is the same thing though that we're talking about in a different way. Like setting aside the idea of like a colorblind campaign and you know, that critique, which I think maybe there at times there was validity in 2000, there there was some validity in 2015, I think way, way less this time. But even beyond that, like, what are we really talking about? Like, I I guess, like, I, I feel like if you're talking about an actual policy area and you're saying like, you don't have a thing like specifically on, you know, housing discrimination as just one of many examples. Okay. But then it starts to become like, no, they did not, that's like, not what people are talking everybody about. Everybody needs healthcare. So are we saying that? Like, no, no, no. That's not what Bernie's people are talking the about. Asshole like, for not talking about health. No, but, but they're, like, what they're talking, talking about, about is something like, which is condescending and gross that no. she did that in my opinion. Oh no. I think what they're talking about is something it's more visceral. It's like uh, yeah. they they feel like what Bernie like when Bernie harps on class, they say his harping on the class stuff shows his ignorance of the race. That like they, like the argument is that he's so he's so tied into class that way. Because he doesn't under he fundamentally doesn't understand the race the role that race plays. I don't agree with that assessment. I think I think once you talk about class, like especially as it um you know as it happens or works itself out in this country, nobody with half a brain could ignore the the, the race component. Like that, like I, like that's why I reject that argument. Like you would have to assume a, ex, an extreme level of ignorance on Bernie Sanders for him to care about class in such a way that he doesn't think race matters in America. Like I, I, I just don't like I don't know where this argument comes from, but it's, I see it all the time and it persists amongst a certain cl- a, a certain type of black person specifically. I can't speak for. Latinx people or East Asian people or Indian people or, you know, any of the other minority groups that we have here in the country. But I know black people specifically because, you know, let's face it, black people's relationship to the country um, as immigrants, as all of that stuff is different from Asian people and, you know, Latinx people. It's just a different relationship um, just by virtue of the fact that so many people are like, you know, They've been hit. Their, their family goes back for hundreds of years, right? Um, so I think that that's what I'm talking about, Mike. They just like they feel like spiritually, yeah. Bernie doesn't get it. Which you again, know, I think is stupid. But this is so weird because any fair reading of Bernie's life and record would put him at the absolute forefront of anti-racist struggles in the last four decades. I mean, this is a guy who got arrested 
at a civil rights march in in the 1960s. He, he got arrested. He he's a man who was one of like four white elected officials in the entire United States to endorse and campaign for Jesse Jackson in 1988, when it would seem like absolutely insane for a black man to be running for president. Um, and every and that was just openly talked about in polite liberal circles, uh, you know, in the op in the pages of the Washington Post and the New York Times. You know, lib good liberals like wondered whether the black man was could, could win the presidency, and Bernie rejected that flat out. Um, but the the other thing, uh, the thing about class and the quote unquote class versus thing, uh, class versus race thing, which is a totally false dichotomy. There is. No reason why one would preclude the other. But the, the reason why talking about class is potent as a political message is that it highlights the commonalities and self-interests of various groups of voters, right? And at the end of the day, politics is about that. It's about bringing in diverse groups of people with, you know, diverse cultural sensibilities and uh, geographic sensibilities and backgrounds and all that stuff into a common political project, into a common struggle um, to fight, you know, the powers that be, so to speak. And class is a potent way to talk about that because it can link people that would, would previously not see themselves uh, as part of the same group. So it, it, it builds, it's, it's, it's a way of building power, of of expanding your political coalition to be able to take on moneyed interests, uh, powerful interests, the media, all, all the things that sort of rule over our society. The only thing the rest of us got is numbers. That's the only thing we got. We don't have power. You know what I mean? Uh, and the only thing we have power in is, is that we there's more of us than there are of them. So if you highlight that common self-interest, because at the end of the day, people vote in their self-interest, then you can sort of reorient the message away from these racist demagogues that want to divide people. I mean, it's just, it's, it's fairly simple in that sense, which doesn't mean that you ignore the history of white supremacy in this country and um, anti-colonial struggles and all, all that, all that stuff is, it's absolutely worth talking about and it, crucial to talk about. And Bernie does talk about it all the time. I mean, if you just go to any one of his rallies, you can see it. I mean, it's, it's, it's to say that they're, uh, race blind is just, is just false. Um, but, but that's why class is a potent political message. It's, it's, it's the way that we can band together to actually take power and more importantly than exercise power. Very well said, Nando. We got to move on to Joe Biden. Um, Nando, you actually, and, and I want to kick back to you. So you actually have a better handle on what exactly it is Joe Biden is butthurt about, um, today and saying, well, I got the apology, but he, you know, the part about me being corrupt and blah, 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 blah. Can you explain to everybody what, what, what got, um, Joe Biden crossways? So in the last couple of weeks, it seems very clear that the Bernie campaign has set their sights on Joe Biden. They realize that Joe Biden is still kind of near the top of the race, if not at the top in some polls, and that he really is the big bad. It doesn't seem it doesn't seem like Warren and Buttigieg are really challenging him. Bernie is way ahead of them. Biden is his real competitor. So they've set their sights on Biden. They first set their sights on his record in Iraq um, and talking about Biden's uh, vote for the Iraq war and his subsequent support for the war effort which Biden has repeatedly lied about. Um, and then the second line of attack that they were unveiling was on Biden's history of calling for cuts into Social Security. Um, this is obviously true. It's 100 percent verifiable. It's actually not even that it shouldn't. I'm surprised it's even that controversial because cutting Social Security was a mainstream elite liberal belief for a very, very long time, including Barack Obama, who led the effort to cut Social Security as part of his grand bargain. Vice President was, of course, uh, Biden was, of course, his vice president. So he obviously supported that whole effort. Um, so it's not a controversial thing. The problem arose when the Bernie campaign used a video, uh, used the transcript of a video of Biden talking about cutting Social Security in, in a sort of sarcastic way. Um, it, it was just like a bad example to use. Um, and people pointed out that Biden wasn't really saying what they were saying he was saying in that video. And there's some validity to it. But it's kind of like 
missing the forest for the trees. Biden has a long record of, of opposing Social Security, uh, of supporting Social Security cuts. So it's a totally fair critique, but the media has run with this narrative that, Bear, that Bernie lied about it. The, the Washington Post fact checker did a whole thing on it, and it was pretty embarrassing. And then the other thing is that a Bernie surrogate, a, a woman named Zephyr Teachout, um, who's a very smart uh, academic and Bernie surrogate and who ran for attorney general in New York, said in an op-ed that uh, Biden had a corruption problem. And for some reason, the Bernie campaign, uh, Bernie himself apologized for using that term to apply to Biden. I don't know. I don't know what you guys think. I think the term <laughs> corrupt is 100 percent applicable to Biden and what happened with uh, Hunter in the Ukraine, um, not to mention Biden's entire career sort of pushing whatever the credit card companies uh, in Delaware tell him to do, bankruptcy bill, all that stuff. But for whatever reason, Bernie thought that that line of attack was not an effective one, so he apologized for it. But he has not apologized for using the Social Security uh, attack. Yeah, I, I, I don't, I think, you know, corruption, I don't have any problem. I, I certainly don't. I thought Zephyr Teachout's piece was great, and it's a totally fine way to describe Biden, although I think for for once, the Bernie campaign, which I would like to see be a little bit more aggressive and ruthless, which I think they're going to need to be, I think in this case, it was strategic because I think that Bernie just kind of was like, let's not get into all the melodrama and smelling salts about this word corrupt because I want that out of the way to grind this motherfucker's face on social security. And I actually think it was my, that might've made some like, you know, tactical sense, but yeah, to be really clear, I mean, Joe Biden has been calling for cutting social security and Medicare for decades. And he actually offered those cuts with Obama as part of a grand bargain to Republicans in 2010, 2011. The only reason it didn't happen is because the Republicans were so insane that they wouldn't take like an 80% deal on their terms. So, you know, Joe Biden has a terrible record on this stuff and people should really know about it. Yeah. And the, the bottom stuff, line, Mike, he's not running on yeah. expanding social security. <laughs> and and well, like, now in he claims fact, he is, but that's a lie. Yeah. Right. No one believes it. Yeah. Like, yeah. like that's not your history. And again, yeah, like quite frankly, Barry stupidly put it on the table as like to say, like, this is you guys' favorite thing to do. Talk about it. What I really want to underscore is if 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 you've ever spent any time inside elite circles, which I have, not to be like all name droppy, but Oh, okay. It's, Pinky it's, up, man. Yeah. Oh. No, no, no. It's, it is, it, you know, the, 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 this, idea, this idea that Social Security is fundamentally going to explode any minute now because it's just totally bankrupt and needs to be cut um, dramatically because the, the country is totally bankrupt and and the Social Security pension fund is not going to be able to finance itself. And, and we need to cut Social Security and we need to expand uh, the retirement age uh, and we need to means test all the all this stuff is just like, is as inevitable to them as the weather. Like the need to cut Social Security um, for, say, like, a, 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 you know, someone who is in the Council of Foreign Relations is as is as banal as the sun rising in the east. You know, like this is thoroughly mainstream elite opinion both in Republican circles and liberal Democratic circles. I mean, this is why Barack Obama focused so much on it, because fundamentally Barack Obama has always wanted the approval of this kind of of this kind of people. So this is it's just it's so obvious and standard. And, and it's just to, to that to have the media now portray this as an, as an outrageous attack on Biden. I mean, this is, crazy. it's, it's crazy. I mean, it's, it's, everyone believes this. I mean, I remember you know talking why, to John but King. You know why from though, CNN. Mando, yeah. sorry to, um, huh. to interrupt you. The reason why is because the status quo of our system is corruption. Like yeah. the lobbying system is corruption. Like uh, the campaign donors, a system where you can get 
you know, hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars contributed to your campaign by a certain type of industry that you are then expected to write and legislate laws that govern that industry. That's corruption. That's why these people got their panties in a bunch just at the idea that we would call what is just known as doing business in D.C. what it actually is, and that's corruption. But sorry, um, go on about John no, King for me, please, you're, brother. No, well, you're right. That the, the real scandal in terms of corruption is not what's illegal. It's what's actually totally legal and accepted. You know, to them— that that's 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 the real problem in the American system. But no, I remember I remember having a, a, a talking to John King. I was at some event and he was just standing next to me and we were just chatting. Um, and he's like, "Hey, you're young." Um, I'm like, "Yeah." And he's like, uh, "Do you ever expect to have Social Security like when you retire?" Of course not. Like you know, like like it's it's taken as such accepted fact that Social Security is doomed unless it's cut. You know, it's just it's it, it, I, I can't stress that's enough anti- like that's how it, that's so antithetical to how things like the reason it would be doomed is because you want to cut it. Yeah, <laughs> like, you know, like if you don't want to do it, like, just fund it. Like, for like, it. Like, it's know, like, so funny to me, right. like something that costs way less, like the military. Nobody ever says, yo, the military's doomed. It's just so much bloat and we can't afford it. Like nobody ever says that. Because nobody believes that we would ever let the military fail. Like, it would just, like, that that idea, it just, like, people would look at you with three heads like, damn, like, do you think we could, you think in 100 years we'll be able to afford the military? And people would be like, what? Yeah. Of course. <laughs> it's, right. It's ridiculous. And I just want to say real quick, because I've been noticing that the Biden campaign they dug up. I mean, this is this is great balls. They dug up like one line from Bernie Sanders saying in 1996 that there might not that there might be adjustments in Social Security. And I guarantee you that unlike Biden, he did not mean raising the retirement age or cutting benefits. What he means is that basically you should lift the Social Security cap so wealthy people can get taxed at Social Security at a higher rate. To help fund the program. Yeah, I guarantee you that's what he meant. And of I just course. also want to add too that we always like roll our eyes when Joe Biden says like, you know, yeah, like once you get rid of Trump, like then me and my, you know, the Republicans will be fine. And obviously, everybody points out, you know, it ignores the the racism, the xenophobia, the craziness, the corruption, the authoritarianism, all of the things that define the Republican Party. But I will say this, he's partially right, because what he could be talking about is he's president, him and Mitch McConnell sit down, and a bunch of Republicans and a lot of you know corporate uh, oligarch Democrats sit down and they, they cut Medicare and Social Security. Yeah. Like, this that's is how totally Biden, on the table. That's how he's Biden been trying made his to career. Do it for decades. He's been trying to do it for decades. Like, people got to know it. And it's crazy, too, because, like, just like the corruption stuff, which obviously Donald Trump doesn't give a fuck. Of course, Donald Trump's the most corrupt guy ever. He doesn't care. He'll run on corruption. And, of course, Donald Trump is going to pass the Republican agenda, which includes cutting Social Security. But that won't stop him from attacking Joe Biden for this. (laughs) Like, it's just these totally unnecessary vulnerabilities. Crazy. Yeah, I, and we can move on from Biden. Um, you know, like <laughs> we say it every yeah, right. week, but like you know what I'm saying. Like right. you yep. are in the pockets of the, the the banks. Like you're a financial services services institution whore and hack. We're gonna say it every week. That's what and who you are. Um, and and you know, and that's just it. And and just to close it off, just just to make people understand stuff. When 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 you when you Come when we when you have these discussions and people say, "Well, Bernie's agenda is too extreme. I don't think it's ever going to pass." So blah 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 blah. Nobody ever thinks like that on the Republican side. When they run on repeal, when they run on repeal and whatever Obamacare, blah 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 blah, and all they and quote unquote all they get is just completely damaging the program and ruining it. 
they're good with that. <laughs> like, yeah, we didn't get repeal and replace. We ran on repeal and replace because that's what we do. But guess what? It, our aim was to damage this law, and we were able to do that quite significantly, too. We only had to stop at pre-existing um, conditions because, goddamn, our honkies told us not to. Right. So when I hear people say stupid shit like, oh, well, Bernie's a little too extreme and the, 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 the moderates aren't going to shut up, shut you, 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 like it just makes no sense to do that. Nobody does this on the other side. Nobody moderates a message. They get in there and figure out what they can get from what they actually wanted. All right, cool. Once I'm in there, I'll figure out how to work a way to get the stuff that I like out of it if I can't get 100%, but I'm not going to campaign on some watered-down version of what I actually would like to be doing. Sorry, end of rant. No, um, absolutely. All right, moving along to some, you know, some <laughs> some funnier news. It was reported this week that the reason Bezos' his nudes got leaked and his phone <laughs> was, you know... <laughs> was in the hands of his enemies is that he was in a text correspondence with fellow um, over overlord and oligarch MBS, the crown prince of Saudi, Saudi Arabia. Um, and the guy sent him some malware and hacked his phone. Um, <laughs> I, I will know that uh, our president is in a long running feud with Jeff Bezos and the Washington Post specifically. Um, and his son-in-law is butt buddies with MBS. Just a thought um, as we're laughing and dissecting this. Um, Nando, I just, you know, <laughs> I just thought it was funny that Jeff Bezos was text buddies and WhatsApping um, MBS. Like, what do you think they talked about? Like, Premier League soccer? Like, what, yeah, what do you think those like two... Sending- Funny memes to each other, you know. <laughs> right. like, uh, I, I, who, who the hell knows? I mean, it's someone, someone a, a while ago made like a joke tweet on Twitter, and it's like stuck in my head. And it's like, you know, obviously we believe in a better world, and we believe that we're going to change this sort of uh, dystopian inequality and oligarchy that we live in. But there is a chance that the oligarchs will just continue to rule and dominate and that the future will just be us watching billionaires fight against each other. We have like our champions, you know, like I'm on team Bezos and I'm on team Peter Thiel. And like, and they, yeah, Zuckerberg. And I'm definitely on team MBS. Yeah. Do you think so? I mean, MBS is such a dumbass. Oh, compared to Bezos. Yeah, definitely. At least look, He's got a right to rule, man. He's got he's got a claim to the throne. <laughs> oh, yes. Bezos is a fucking nerd. Bezos is from Miami, of though. Allah, so of course yeah. he has the right to. Yeah, rule. Allah told him he's got a nice smile. He fucking <laughs> he hit Jeff Bezos with a you know you up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. I would probably choose like some Chinese billionaire who likes to yeah, go yeah, probably. and you know, yeah. But it, that that's really the reality. I mean, and this is kind of an example of that. Watching these two oligarchs, you know, fight, and it, yeah, obviously, like I don't support uh, leaking someone's nudes and extorting them. But it's Bezos, who's the literally the most richest man in the history of ever. Um, so it's kind of funny to see that even he's vulnerable. To getting his phone hacked, um, but the fact that MBS—I mean, it's just funny—all this MBS news coming out. I mean, obviously the murder of Khashoggi and all that stuff is horrible, but like, again, in the wake of his totally disgusting uh, and shameful goodwill tour throughout the United States, in which every sort of liberal and conservative elite pundit slobbered all over his feet um saying like well oh my god look he's gonna reform the kingdom of saudi arabia and like he just turns out to be just this comically uh dumb and evil guy it, it's just funny to me like i i kind of revel in that uh, well, what do you think why are you no, worried I, about I, jeff bezos no, I'm not, I'm I'm absolutely not worried about Jeff Bezos. I just think it's hilarious how these things play out just in in real time, right? Um 
Like, we wouldn't know that Jeff Bezos was having a correspondence with the crowd prince of Saudi Arabia, but in certain ways, we should expect that he is, right? Like, like he's the richest guy in America, and, you know, which means that he's one of the most important people, unfortunately. Like, that's, that's, how, that's how our system works. That's the system of global capitalism. Um, but, the, you know, just the idea that a guy is leaking another guy's nudes, it's just, it's, just, it's just funny. I don't know what to say. It's just, it's just so funny just as an idea or, or, or a concept. You know, uh, I, I don't think that it ever occurred to me to think about the source of the Bezos you know, nudes leaking and the source of that, you know, his phone being hacked like that would have never, it just never crossed my mind that, um, you know, I should be thinking about who actually did this to the dude. So, you know, reading this stuff definitely gave me, it gave me a few laughs, man. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, do we know, like, is it, I mean, we know he got hacked. I don't, it's not proven yet that this is the same thing as the reason that Jeff's nudes got hacked. It got no, leaked because it could no, have been it, according part to of the, his like divorce or something. Yeah, well, according to the according to Bezos's own security guy, the head of his security guy, he he basically established that it was MBS that hacked his phone, and then um, shortly after, so then he started looking into the relationship of of MBS and David Pecker, who's the head of the company that owns, <laughs> obviously his name is David Pecker. It's hilarious, but he's the company, yeah, the head of the company. Say, that, you're not going to let me laugh for a minute. Yeah. Guys. You got to <laughs> laugh. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, he's the guy, he's the guy who owns the national Enquirer, who uh, is the, is the newspaper that was going to leak the, 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 the sex of Jeff Bezos. So mm. it seems like the circumstantial evidence is pretty powerful. If, MBS hacked his phone, and it turns out MBS is tight with the head of the National Enquirer, a.k.a. the newspaper that got the contents of Bezos' phone, right? And yeah, to reiterate what what Mike said, uh, it's it's just, it is kind of, it is, actually, I think it was Nando who said it, it it is type, um, it's reassuring that, like, you know, Bezos, who's like, you know, he works in technology, like, this is... (laughs) Like he's not, it's not like Warren Buffett or something like, dude, like you're a tech billionaire. Like you're supposed to be technologically savvy in a way that MBS can't just get all up in your business like this. So it's, it's kind of funny. It makes me feel like, all right, you know, I'm, I'm not such a dummy, um, for that time that I put a virus on my mom's computer when I was watching porn, you know, (laughs) (laughs) I'm not such a dumb guy for doing that, for having done that. Um, yeah, I think we can move on from this. And, and last but not least, um, what's this comedian homies, this, this comedy writer homies name, Jack Allison, Jack Jack Allison. Allison, Who uh, Nando and Michael have both been guests on his podcast. I guess I'm not important enough or funny no. enough to ever have been invited. No, it's actually so, nuts that you. They should definitely have you. It's a struggle session. Leslie Lee the Third and Jack Allison. Actually, in matter of fact, you should definitely be on that podcast. Yeah, but at any rate, yeah, it's Jack Allison. Anyway, he wrote an op-ed about a spat that he had with Michael Shea that spanned, um, you know, basically a year or so. Um, yeah that I thought was just very interesting because it's just a commentary about our lives, our digital lives now. Right. Um, the concept that it's just like, it's just so funny. Like the, the head writer of SNL could be online bullying some random guy who I don't even think applied for the SNL gig that he was dissing. Right. Like just in 2020, like these two people can have, interactions for no real reason at all but just the culture of the internet is such that we squabble like this i mean the the crazy thing is that this all started when jack who used to write for jimmy kimmel um so he's like been a working sketch comedy writer in the biz so to speak and so he knows how it works was looking at the snl submission uh like packet for writers, which is something very common. Like if you're applying for a writing job at Tonight Show or SNL or whatever, you send a packet and then they make you sign something that says that if they ever use an idea that's similar to yours, 
in in this packet that you can't sue them, right? Um, it's just a way for them to protect themselves. But he noticed that in the SNL one, um, they include all the things that you've ever posted on social media um, is fair game for them to use, which is kind of crazy. And so he pointed it out on on Twitter. Um, he just like made a comment on like this is fucked up. And didn't tag SNL, didn't tag Michael Che, didn't tag anyone. And he's and according to him, it got like twelve retweets and like sixteen faves. And all of a sudden, Michael Che is putting a, a screenshot of it on his Instagram and talking shit. Um, and he thought that that was like weird and that was going to be like a thing that lasted a day. But <laughs> Michael Che ended up just like screenshotting all his tweets for months and and talking shit about him on Instagram, which is just the most insane, deranged behavior. Like I can, I can, like I can remember, especially because, like, again, Michael Che is the head writer of SNL. It's like literally <laughs> one of the most coveted comedy jobs in America. And Jack Allison, who's a very smart and very funny guy, you know, at the end of the day, he's got like his own little podcast, which is like a niche kind of like leftist nerdy podcast, which is you know, it's got his like little following, but it's like nowhere near SNL. Yeah. So like, just to see this guy punching down to this, you know fairly much more anonymous, uh, fellow comedy writer. It's just, it's insane behavior. And it was just, it's just, it speaks to a lot of the, the thin skinnedness that I, w- I would say has been revealed, um, of elite people in the age of Twitter and social media. Cause before they were like fairly inoculated from these kind of critiques, you know, like no one could talk shit to the head of the SNL, right. uh, 30 years ago. Like that was just like literally impossible. You have to like go and find him at his house or something. But now when they write an unfunny sketch uh, about like Trump and Kofifi or something, um, they, they, get, they, get, they get people on Twitter make fun of them for it and they don't like it. Yeah, I'm actually I'm actually on the other side of this a little bit and not like, oh, I, I, and I don't even care about Michael Shea. It's just I can understand as somebody whose job involves being on the Internet and dealing with the comments and the peanut gallery, if you will, um, of certain people on the internet. Just the idea that you get to talk shit and nobody gets to address it. I just don't agree with that idea. Like you can say, yo, you're more important than me, Michael Shea, in this world. And, you know, you have this level of following, blah, 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 blah. But like, look, you shouldn't throw stones and hide your hand is what I'm saying. Like well, if you talk shit, people might read it <laughs> and people might get at you. Well, here's what I'll say. Like, it didn't start with him talking shit about Michael Che. You know, he didn't. He didn't. Well, he said the show that he's in charge of running is unfunny. I I don't know. No, 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 no. It started off with him talking shit about this idea that if you submit your packet to SNL, they can then use all your social media um, as a source of jokes without crediting you or, or without you being able to, you know, it's a very weird clause in their contract. So he he wasn't, he wasn't talking, like he wasn't commenting. He subsequently talked shit about how he found SNL to be unfunny and how Michael Che is unfunny, but that that, Michael Che was the original guy who swung first in the sense that, you know, he, what Jack Allison was complaining about was a, a very, or not even complaining about, he was just pointing it out was a very sort of reasonable thing to point out. He wasn't commenting on the, on uh, he wasn't talking shit, so to speak. Like he wasn't talking about like, yo, SNL's bullshit. Like that's, that, that was the, the, the source of it was this, this weird clause in their contract. Well, that's so, what started it. But if you read the headline of the article, it says my feud with Saturday night live head writer has started several months all because as I said, his show was unfunny. That's his that's his reading of the situation is what I'm saying. Like, OK, so forget about that. That's 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 a one. Another thing that I found was interesting. It's kind of just the hubris or the self delusion that a lot of us go through. Whatever. I'm I'm I'm, you know, guilty of it, too. But just the idea that like shit from your Twitter feed would make it onto SNL. Like, I mean, like, like, like the idea that you're brimming with tweets that are good enough. Well, to be fair, (laughs) if you watch SNL, they should be, they would beg for my Twitter. Sure. I mean, that's the most unfunny shit I've ever seen in my life. I mean, but here's, here's the thing. I agree. I actually, I agree that. Because it, it happens on every level, right? Like you don't have to be Michael Che. Like you can, right. 
you know, we can get like bullshit from yeah. various, you know, whatever. Right. And absolutely every single person in the world has a right to smack back. Like, I actually think that's one of the things that people don't understand about, you know, how Trump is working on certain audiences. And I'm, I'm just saying this objectively. Like, I think when Trump actually makes fun of a journalist with muscular dystrophy, I think everybody besides sociopaths or like 12 year old, they're like, yes, that's fucked up. But I also think there's plenty of other scenarios where, you know, people look at what Trump's reaction is and then they don't realize that in a lot of people's minds, Trump is doing the same thing the other person is doing, just more funny, basically. So I, I get what you're saying, Waz. It's not that Michael Che doesn't have a right to hit back and say whatever comment he wants to make. And in fact, the way all this stuff works, like I remember when this first started, and it is crazy that it's still going on because this really was a year ago. <laughs> I mean, you know, struggle session, it's, it, it is actually legit. That's the thing I want to get to in a second. It's crazy that the legs that this has had. Yeah. But, you know, struggle session was already a, you know, successful, like thousand plus patron or whatever. And they grew, like they, they had this, they they had all of this attention. Their whole thing, their whole profile grew because Michael Che was bitching and whining. And I think that's kind of what I mean. First of all, the SNL packet thing—that is insane. That is that is so exploitative. That is so unethical. Yeah, that is so outrageous. And then it's that Michael Che isn't really. I mean, he's he's popping some jokes off, but they're not really that funny. And he's kind of obsessed with it. And that's the only reason he's losing. And I, and what I kind of wonder as I look at it, I'm not, I definitely don't watch Saturday Night Live. That's not just the posture. I don't, I mean, I haven't, I watched it with, well, I didn't even watch all of when Eddie Murphy hosted it. I watched several sketches, but you know, I've heard Michael Chad caught certain things here and there and clear, like he's a funny guy. He's not like a, He's personally funny person. in his act. I don't know yeah, if he's talented so, enough to make SNL and there and Lorne Michaels' comedic sensibilities funny. I don't know that anybody well, is. Oh yeah, and just good how, enough to how tested it is and everything else. But I think what Allison might have pointed to this a little bit, where you know, because Jack Allison used to write for Jimmy Kimmel, mm-hmm. and he's kind of saying. You know, is he upset because like I used to be in the club or something? And I, I think that is what's interesting about it. Is there a part of Che that understands that SNL is embarrassing? Yes. And he's (laughs) bothered that this, you know, because he agrees. Do you know what I'm saying? Because yeah. That's why is he still talking about it? Yeah, that's that's a fair that's a fair point um, right there. If you really thought that you were making, I don't know, the Chappelle show, you wouldn't you wouldn't be too caught up about what this dude has to say about your job. I think that you imagine some telling. guy comes at you from the Chappelle show. You're like, like, actually, I think it's derivative and not <laughs> right. as intensive as you think. Yeah. You're like, Oh, okay. Yeah, well, exactly. That I'm Marilyn Monroe. Like, okay. Like the dude in front of Penn station, sniffing glue has thoughts too. Like, thank you. Bye. <laughs> but if you work on Saturday Live, you might be like, "Oh God, damn it!" <laughs> He's right. Yeah, a hundred. You beautiful point. Well, those are those are those I are the criticisms that hurt that. the most, right? You know, of like yeah. which is why which is why, for example, like libs hate criticism from their left more than criticism from their right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because right. like they can dismiss criticism from the right as like just outrageous nonsense and yeah of course but when it comes from their left it's like they secretly know that they're they're true they're right and they're true so it just makes them even more angry which is why you know like that's why for example hillary clinton hates bernie more than trump and why michael Che can't stop talking about jack allison yeah exactly (laughs) like well there you go we just we just compared michael Che to hillary clinton so (laughs) we've done our jobs for today 
here on the Woke Bros again. Make sure you get your tickets for Count the Dings Live at the Bell House in Brooklyn on March 28th at CountTheDings.com. Of course, Mike, where can people buy tickets for the TMBS show on February 7th? Uh, well, we'll have a link in the uh, show description. But now for everything, uh, go to tmbs.fm. You can get uh, merch, hoodies, TMBS hoodies. You can become a patron, and you ha- can definitely get a link uh, to buy tickets to TMBS live shows like February 7th at the Bell House. You guys are awesome. Uh, we'll be back next week. Thanks, y'all. All right, man. Thank you for Michael Brooks, Fernando Via. I'm Big Waz. We're out. Later, y'all. Take it easy. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.